Welcome to the Sunshine Satellite Story Podcast, mythology mashups and odd apologues for young audiences. I am your host, Amanda Louise, moving you through the realms of malicious monsters, meritorious heroes, through the practice of real and imagined magic, shining a light into the darkness and conjuring something meaningful out of chaos. Welcome back to Chapter 6 of The Viking and the Princess. Lately in our story, stiff-necked moiety has been getting jerked about quite a bit. Akeda, the Viking, has had to be on his toes to keep up with the amount of rescuing the independent princess has been requiring. She's been in trouble with her mother, an ocean giant, mermaids, and even the generous north wind. So far, the Viking has been able to keep Moiety alive by using gifts given to him by the gods of Asgard. But when he beached the longboat on a tropical island to make repairs, she wanders off on her own. While in the jungle, Moiety encountered the chameleon, an evil lizard who is building an army of half-living, half-dead, mechanical, biological automatons. The princess is just what she needs to complete her menagerie of zombie foot soldiers. She has paralyzed the princess and is planning on replacing her flesh heart with a mechanical one made out of lodestone. Akeda is also deep in the jungle looking for Moiety. He has encountered the natives, 10,000-year-old glowworm children whose job it has always been to wrap the newly born stars in a protective casing of silk to preserve their songs as they travel into space. The children bring him to an entrance to the world tree where he encounters vision inside. The Triune sisters past, present, and promise inside one of the tunnels of the world tree. When we left Akeda, he had gone through vision and was nearing the exit point of the tree where the chameleon's army was preparing to perform their grisly operation. And so begins chapter six. But before we get into it, our quote is from J.R.R. Tolkien in The Two Towers. War must be, while we defend our lives against a destroyer who would devour all, but I do not love the bright sword for its sharpness, nor the arrow for its swiftness, nor the warrior for his glory. I love only that which they defend. Moiety was supine in the hollow of the dead tree. She would have noticed that the inside of the tree opened up to a tunnel of considerable length if she had been able to explore. But Moiety was in too much danger. She was conscious, but unable to respond to her surroundings. Only her eyes moved, and she watched as the horde of tiny, mechanized beasts swarmed over her body and began the process of slowly boring into the spaces between her ribs. They were tunneling cavities into her chest to her heart, presumably to replace it with something else. Moiety felt the pain, but it was so intense that she also felt that she was outside her body, hovering over it, watching in suspended horror. There was not much blood, but there was the terrible smell of electrocauterized flesh. She vomited. She lay in it. Akeda was coming to the end of the tunnel in the world tree, and he saw what he thought looked like large ants on a dead bear. 
He balked with abhorrence when he realized what it was. He froze while his brain whirred in an attempt to categorize the abomination. All at once he lurched, laden with emotion at the horrific scene, batting and swatting at the tiny monsters with frenzied effort. He unthinkingly beat at her motionless body, and when he was able to get a grip on her, drug her out into the acrid red light. The automatons followed slowly, steadily, gripping and climbing his leg, and then suddenly, as if a poisonous gas had it taken them, they all dropped lifeless to the ground. Akeda assumed that Moiety was gone, but he picked her up to carry her, just as he would have carried any battle-fallen warrior, with strength and sorrow and deep conviction. This is the power of flesh. Flesh only yields to a machine in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense, flesh and spirit are stronger than any machine. Broken human hearts keep beating, pumping right through the greatest spiritual injuries. A strange thing happens when they are broken. A broken heart creates a rift through the realms for God to come near to the brokenhearted. It cuts right through the fortified walls of materialism and armoire propoir. They explode into the universe, reverberating out to the edges, and unspoken prayers are heard all over the heavens with ringing clarity. They demand a response from God the way the peculiar primal wailing of newborns demands a response from a mother. God is just as much a wild, untamed female as he is a strong and steady male, and prayers from bathroom floors have already arrived in heaven while cathedral prayers are still bumping against stained glass windows. Flesh is a seed. If it dies, it has the potential to bring forth much fruit. When machines break, they are broken. Akeda did not see the chameleon, but he felt its presence three seconds before the muscular, spring-loaded tongue sprang from its cold mouth. It was just enough time to drop into a roll. He narrowly escaped the trap, but lost his grip on his little friend. The tiny automatons sprang back to life, and turning as one, they began advancing on her body. The chameleon's crest was aglow with UV light and the long, flat layers of ghostly white peeling skin gave her the appearance of a specter in the process of morphing into real life. She was thoughtfully opening and closing her stiff, frowning mandible, and Akeda could see a curious, bulbous tongue between its non-existent lips. Her tail, held aloft, was coiled up into an elegant Fibonacci spiral, her skin was streaked with all the colors of the visible spectrum and some of the colors that fall outside spectral vision. Her elbows and knees bent outward, skewing her appearance. Time slowed. Akeda felt that he was on the outside of reality looking in. He was certainly not surprised when the hag spoke. Her voice was sweet and too sweet, strong and foul. Give it up, Akeda. Your mind knows there are no real metaphors in this wasteland. Nothing in the physical world symbolizes anything in the spiritual world. There is only the Harlequin. Chance, utilizing all as jesters on a cosmic stage. And what can righteousness be compared to? It is only a lonely field atop a rocky mountain, littered with the bones of its climber. And who are you? Just a man bearing no image except your own. 
and that is only what you make of it. Rise up in your power, man, and craft images in your own likeness. You shall be a god. You seek a compass. You are your own compass. Just as truth is only what you decide it to be, so all directions start and end in you. You are the Alpha and the Omega. All the while, the chameleon was droning away with tedious dialogue. The automatons were jerking and janking, wiggling and whirring back into motion. They carried the mechanical heart atop their tiny shoulders the way a procession carries a hero. They were coming back. It seemed to Akeda that the eviler, the adversary, the more verbose the diatribe, he did not understand what the chameleon was saying. And this lack of higher education served him well, for when stripped of its flowery flowing language, the chameleon was obviously just plain old nasty, and Ikeda wanted nothing to do with it or its obscure bargains. He purposefully placed his body protectively between the enemy and the woman. The chameleon continued, Is it really said by the ancients a little child shall lead them? Do the twinkling stars really hear the wishes of children? They are like grown-ups, full of lust and greed, and yet unable to disguise it. Outwardly they are full of breath and water, but inwardly they are full of the same dead men's bones as the whitewashed tombs. I alone am the desirable one. I own by right of conquest, and no one opposes me. To me, this forsaken world is a woman abandoned by her husband with her valuables fully exposed. I grow ever wiser drinking the blood of the stars. I have already swept a third of them from the sky with only my tail. I raise up kings, each one becoming a mighty horn on my face. Do you see these four horns? They are the kings of Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. Their strength and splendor are renowned to the end of time. Do you not understand what I offer you? You shall sprout up like a horn between my eyes, and I will be your power, and all the princes of the earth will come to lay their wealth at your feet. You will be like a great tree spreading its branches over the whole earth, unifying and protecting the nations. You shall be wise. Give me the princess, and all these mighty works shall come to pass. Only bow down to me and call me good teacher. Blah, blah, blah. The Viking wondered if the length of the tongue always corresponds to the length of the pompous narration. This animal seemed to believe that the Viking was interested in its entire memoir. Pride goes before the fall, and proliferation of prose goes before a thoroughly disinterested audience. Brevity characterizes humility, and Ikeda was to the point, giving no response but to draw his sacks from his hip. The chameleon balked at the offense, and with perfectly poised stillness, flung her deceitful tongue forward at Ikeda with the force of hellfire. Akeda stepped to the side and sliced the end off the tongue. It was not a clean cut, and the lump still hung onto the rest of the coiled, sticky tissue. The chameleon slowly reached a pinched claw up to her mouth and pulled the broken part off. She released it neatly over on the ground where the motionless moiety lay still exposed in the dry grass. I have come that you might have death and have it more abundantly. The hag growled, and where the old tongue lump had been, there sprouted two separate smaller growths. 
the bifurcation giving her the true appearance of a red dragon. The automatons had limped up to Moiety's feet. Akeda continued to kick them back, all the while keeping an eye on the old sack of lizard flesh. Two of the automatons made their way past Akeda's feet and reattached themselves to her chest. They were systematically reinserting their metal proboscis through her intercostal spaces. Akeda again batted them back with his foot. Fortunately, the dragon was not a skilled fighter. She had always preferred to paralyze her prey with the poison of palavering flattery and flashy glinting skin shows. Indeed, even the dragon's most robust opposition could typically be dissuaded by the simple fact that her seemingly soft skin, with its intense chromaticity and dynamic fluctuating display, seemed to most too precious to pierce. Akeda continued to advance on the dragon's position. The dragon continued to cycle through its multiple color phases. She opened her mouth wide and swayed spastically. Her torso heaved heavily atop her bent appendages. What is this woman to you, man? Is she really worth protecting? Surely your own blood is more valuable. Every woman has two legs and a path to her womb. There's nothing unique here. Better women than this await. Turn away, Viking. Dip your hand into my treasure hoard. Return to your homeland safely with gifts of my gold and know yourself to be my distant ally. The chameleon's eyes darted and shifted with every word, and with every word the great lizard's skin flushed a different color. Why was the woman worth protecting? Ikeda wavered in his mind. What was her name? And for a moment, looking at the ever-changing reality of the dragon, he could not even remember what was true. The nonsensical pseudo-logic oozing from the dragon's tongue was clouding his ability to remember the past. He could not make a clear decision for the present, and therefore the promise seemed to be fading. The automatons were swarming her. Something smelled like vomit. He remembered something his father told him about how spiders, when consuming their prey, secrete their digestive juices into the unfortunate bug and then suck their insides out. Was that what these unliving birds and lizards were doing? Dissolving her flesh heart so they could turn her into one of them? Oh, no! Akeda viscerally reacted to the subliminal, rancorous undertone of the atmosphere. And with this resistance, no matter that it was slight, the red light faded out for just a moment and the Viking's vision returned. He could see the stars in the sky. Yes, they were always moving, but not with the terrible chaos of the dragon's lies and darting eyes, but always precise, moving in measurable degrees so as to be navigable. They had safely brought him thus far, and they were still waiting to guide him home. With perfect balance of change and stability, they symbolized the wisdom of the intelligence of guiding creation. Akeda was strengthened by their presence. Moiety, he said out loud. Her name is Moiety, and she needs me. Whether she cares or not, I will fulfill my obligation. I will not abandon the woman I have committed to my care. And the only reason I give you, dragon, is the only reason that is necessary. It is the right thing to do. She has no loyalty to you, man. The chameleon was breathing heavily. Her spiny rib cage protruded with every exhalation. Fool, she will refuse you. 
You are evil, Akeda spoke the truth. Why do you hate me? The chameleon asked. I am not all bad. I have good intentions. Just because I utilize something bad for a greater good does not make me evil. You are a liar. Hating is wrong. There is no season for hating or for war, the chameleon lied. There is a peace that is only obtained on the other side of war, and hating what is evil is the same as loving what is good. The chameleon began to shrink, and Akeda realized that the power of calling a thing by its right name was as potent as the most ancient incantations. You are a liar, and you come only to kill and destroy. The more that Akeda spoke the truth, the more apparent the song of the stars became in its steadfast resonation. What will the living creature be called? What will be its name? Give it the breath of logos, truth that cannot be changed. What do you speak into existence with the value of the words you say? What do you loose on heaven and earth? Choose you what you serve this day. Do you lie or will you live? The power is in the word to shape the life around you to be solid or absurd. So call it by its right name and don't dilute the truth for lies entwined with facts are palatable and smooth. In the end is bitter poison. They bite like uncharmed cobras. They take up the mantle of death, that decomposing persona. The truth will bring you trouble, but in faith the trouble is good, for the trouble is the key to release the fetter of falsehood. Speaking truth is speaking life, for life is the word of creation. Speaking lies is speaking death, for death is the word of damnation. Give the dragon a name, that sneaking red chameleon, who is the devouring lizard, that chaotic Mephistophelian. You are an accuser, and your power is guilt. You use the power of pride to entice the fall, and your name is shame. When the Viking called the lizard by its right name, something extraordinary happened. The moon, which had been there the whole time, pierced through the red glow of the field. The light from the cold orb presided over the landscape, unflinchingly exposing everything for what it was. The great lizard, who claimed to have swept a third of the stars from the sky, began to shrink to the size of a green rat, and its verbose and grandiose dialogue became nothing more than huffing and hissing. The automatons remained alive, but once again the lie inside of the truth packaging was revealed. They dispersed, scattering into all different directions, jerking and clinking randomly out to the shoreline and into the water, where, finally, the salty currents overtook them, and like a meaningless dream, they were no more. This would have been something of a happy ending, except for the severed piece of tongue that shame the chameleon had pinched off and discarded. While Akeda had been so busy kicking back the automatons and fighting through the haze of shame's verbal brawling, the chameleon's sly, severed tongue had slinked its way over like a pellucid worm and wrapped itself tightly around the woman's ankle.
Thank you for listening to this Sunshine Satellite Story Podcast. This is an original story by Amanda Louise Van Stratum. All rights reserved. For more original stories and poetry, including links to purchase text copies of my books, please visit me at sunshinesatellite.com. If you've enjoyed this story, please let me know by leaving me a review and rating in the comments section. I hope to hear from you soon.